Today's scripture reading is from Daniel 12. If you'd like to follow along in our red Bibles in the pews, we will read from Daniel 12, 1 through 4, and that's on page 750. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. This is the word of the Lord. We'll be closing our study of Daniel today, and uh, based off of uh, our prayer meeting with the people in the back before the service started, they're looking forward to it. So um, <laughs> feelings were slightly hurt. But I, I get it. It's kind of like if, if you've been here for the last six chapters, it's a lot of doom and gloom, right? So you're probably like wondering, like, okay, let's, let's stop this. It's, but that's, that's apocalyptic literature. That's, this, that's what we have here. Um, but I, I do need to let you know that that's not Daniel's intent. His intent was not just to like, give you a bunch of bad news and, you know, that's it. His hope was to fill the readers of the book with, with hope, to encourage them and, and to... Support them in this time where they're going to need it in persevering with their faith. And so he's trying to say, like, at the end, this is how it all ends, so keep faithful and keep going until, until the end. And so what, what Daniel wrote so many years in the past is, is meant to give us hope for today. Now, back in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11... Daniel wrote about the Antichrist, uh, who's the embodiment of evil. And as we move into chapter 12, he's providing us this, this hope for those who are going to experience this life at the end of the world. Are we at that time now? I don't know. But he is writing it for those people. Now, those apocalyptic thoughts, these aren't anything new for any of us, right? This is something that uh, our entire human history has been fascinated with. If you look back Many, many thousands of years, even up till today, you can look at our art or our music, um, poetry, and it, it's all about apocalypse. You can find it in many cultures, you can find it in, in many religions, and in, in many uh, people groups all around the world. And it's not until most recently that it's made um, appearances in film or uh, other types of more modern day things, but it's it's something that we're really, really aware of already, and uh, as in the case of the most popular shows on television, there's a fascination with zombie apocalypse, right? Like there's, it's all over the place, people are kind of wired for this. Chapter 12 is about God's promise of everlasting life for his people whose allegiance is with God despite the persecution, the oppression, the injustice. It's about God's promise of deliverance from the curse of sin and inheriting a life everlasting for people who persevere to the end with their loyalty still attached to God. There are wars and 
being fought and, and being fought in the spiritual realm, we talked about that last week, that, that play out in our physical world, but there will be an end, there is an end, that things do not go on forever, that the only things that are eternal, or the only thing eternal is God, and even truth and time, those things have a destination, they're going somewhere. Everything except God has a beginning and an end. Everything moves toward an end. But then enter God who promises everlasting, everlasting life for his faithful people who remain loyal despite the persecution and who persevere to the end. And this is how our story ends today. This is what the, the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us over and over and over again about God's provision and we discover who God is through his word. So let's take a look at verse 1 here. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. The last days. This is a time of a fearful tribulation, a fearful trouble. Jesus said in Mark chapter 13 verse 19, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. The end will be worse than what people experienced with Antiochus Epiphanes, and that is hard to imagine because that was really terrible. But with the help of Michael, the great defender of God, and we meet Michael in chapter 10, verse 21, we also see glimpses of Michael in the book of Jude as well as in Revelation chapter 12. Michael is charged with the responsibility to protect the people of God, uh, the delivered ones, whose names are found in the book of life. So a question for us this morning, is, is our name written in the book of life? And it's God who enters those names, and those names are based on a person's faith and belief in Jesus Christ as deliverer, redeemer, savior, See, we don't enter our own names into that book. God has written the name in the book. Verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. See, everyone is going to a destination. Everyone is going somewhere. Our soul, our spirit, our mind didn't come out of nothing. We don't go to nothing after our physical death. We, we all have a destination. And the greatest distinction between people are whether their name is written in the book of life <clears throat> or it's not. When we tend to think of differences, we tend to think of race or gender, um, class, age, all those sorts of things. That, that is not God as we are all his creation. The greatest distinction in the eyes of God are whether your allegiance is with Jesus Christ or it's not. Are you in the family of Jesus or not? Is your name written in the book of life or is it not? And so that is the greatest distinction in all of eternity in the eyes of God. And it's not something that we decide on after death. It is something that we have a decision in making in life. Because the things that separate us from God now are the same things that are going to separate us from God in the heavenly realm for all of eternity. So... If you're not happy in accepting Jesus now, what changes later? 
See, not all roads lead to the same destination. If you reject God now, why would you want to be with God in the future forever if you don't want that now? And so heaven is where God is. So if you don't want God, he gives us the dignity to be where we want to be. So if we reject it and we desire to be absent from God, then that is essentially hell. The Bible speaks of these final destinations as everlasting life or everlasting contempt, that the dead are actually still alive. For example, if you look at the word shoal, S-E-H-E-O-L, it is all over the, the Old Testament. That place, shoal, is not hell. It is not a place of torment. Shoal is how the Old Testament asserts that death doesn't end human existence. We are not just physical bodies. We have souls. Our souls have a body, and we, we go somewhere with that soul after this body has perished. What makes us who we are isn't the physical being, because you are still who you are even as you age. You become physically different, but you're still who you are. So you're still you. Your soul is still you, even though physically things change. The dead experience a change of place and of state, but they're still alive as individual persons. That our personhood is retained in death. Yes, we are physically dead, but still spiritually alive. And if that is not the case, then why are any of us here? We should just go enjoy our physical state of being as much as we can before we die. Why bother with anything else? But the Bible talks about Abraham gathering to his people, and Abraham has been dead for a very, very long time. The Bible also speaks about David, who mourned the death of his firstborn son, and he, he talks about going to his son. When we are ultimately separated from our place, uh, physical place and state, where are each one of us going to be? And the Bible says that we are raised in everlasting life or raised in everlasting contempt. And so the everlasting life is the hope of Christianity, that that is why Jesus came to do what he came to do. We will all experience a physical death, but we don't all have to experience an everlasting contempt. We're told that the penalty of sin is death because of sin, and we're all sinners. So how do those condemned to death, which is all of us, go on to everlasting life? And so God provides to us Jesus Christ, who pays for that sin, and in his resurrection conquers death for all of those who believe in him. The answer to our predicament as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, is Jesus. John chapter 6, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the question for us is, do we trust what Jesus said? Do we trust what he did and will do? This is the good news of Jesus, and the question is whether we believe this or not. Verses 3 and 4. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, 
and those who turn, turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and, and knowledge shall increase. This phrase, uh, shut up the words and seal the book, is, is uh, interesting. Yeah? Like, you just gave all these things to me. Now you're saying, like, shut it. Like, what's, what's going on? So these instructions that were given to Daniel weren't meant to be kept in secret. These were instructions to be given to persevere. And these really important words are for those future generations to persevere. And then there's this phrase, the time of the end. It it appears numerous times in the book. It's a phrase to inform us of the end of time so that none of us is taken surprised by it. So seal this book. It's for future generations. Open it when you need it because this is, this is coming. And then there's this really interesting phrase in the, in the last part of verse 4. Many shall run to and fro. There's been, there have been many people throughout history doing this. Just people running to and fro in their futile search for truth while they're leaving God out of it. I mean, we think about just the history of humanity, and I don't think that we're doing all that well on our own. We've had a lot of time to figure things out, and yet here we are. Is there any less hate in the world? You see, our knowledge has surely increased from a technology standpoint or from a secular standpoint, definitely, and even from a spiritual standpoint because years and years have gone by to where we can see the spirituality and the prophecies of the Bible come true. So even Christians have gained in knowledge because we have so much more than, say, the Apostle Paul had in terms of biblical prophecy and things that have come true since his time. But even though we've increased in knowledge secularly and even spiritual people, how are we doing on the front of peace? How are we doing on the fronts of forgiveness in terms of how we're doing this world, worldwide? And I would look at the world today and say that it's pretty tense. Things are pretty tense around the world. As humans, we just don't seem to be all that humane. Constantly at war constantly at odds with each other, and that's not just countries, that's even within just a family unit within a house. And we haven't been able to figure out how to get along, even though we've been here a really, really long time. So isn't it evident that we do indeed need some outside help, a deliverer, a savior, And yet we have people who want a God like they want a burger, right? I want it my way. We make it your way. Like We just want those sorts of quick fixes. And you can make that burger. It does exist out there. But that God that you want to do things your way, she or he doesn't exist. They don't exist. Christ did for us what we could never do on our own. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank of the stream. Uh, If you go back to the beginning of chapter 10, this was the Tigris River. And again, back to some 
housekeeping here. Chapters 10 through 12 are all to be read as one unit. It's, it's uh, one unit of, of uh, continuous thought for Daniel. And, and the information from chapter 10 is carrying on to here to chapter 12. So just referring back to there. Six, verse six. And someone said to the man clothed in the linen, we also met this person in chapter 10, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? That's a really great question. Because we don't know this, this answer. This question was asked way back in chapter 8 by angels. And angels don't even know uh, what's going on, even though they're involved in all of this. In verse 7, And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and a half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. We've been looking at this apocalyptic literature since chapter 7, which seems like a really long time ago. And chapters 7 through 12, they take us from the time of Daniel until the return of Jesus Christ. And all of this time has been mired in conflict. And we continue to discover that this period until the return of Jesus Christ will take place in the context of this very severe devastation of God's people. That we can be from the present until the return of Christ and expect not things to get better, but actually for things to get worse. Before Christ fixes all of the world's problems, God's people will suffer. And this is something that's really important for us to keep in mind because it helps us to see the reality of what is to come for those who call themselves Christians. I, I worry about my daughters. I worry about what the world has for them if they show loyalty to Jesus Christ, have allegiance towards Jesus Christ. Because given what leads us to the end of the world, do we really think the entire world will be Christianized? And if you have that thought, that is not a biblical thought. That is more a thought of imperialism or capitalism. That is not what the Bible teaches. We can preach, teach, pray to that end that everyone does become a follower of Jesus Christ, but according to the Bible, this is not what happens. It will appear as though darkness, as though evil, as though Antichrist wins. That's how it will look. And the church will be severely weakened and things will not look good for the church at all. Sound look familiar with what's going on with the United States? It's not moving in a positive direction, I don't think. I think it's just getting worse. Already happened in Europe. Already happened in Canada and other westernized nations. Let's take a closer look at the phrase here, time, times, and half a time. That's in verse 7. This phrase is speaking of something over an extended period of time, a time period that is well beyond Daniel. This is going to be a very, very serious, very heavy time, a very mysterious time, but certainly going to happen. It's going to happen. And what God says will happen, happens. You can read the entire book of the Bible to figure that out. 
This is tied to the serious distress of God's people and the life they're going to live. That the only thing that will change the course of this persecution is a divine intervention. That only God interceding will change this path of destruction. And you can look back to history, and this has happened time and time again. You look back at all of those times the people of God have been persecuted. You look at the Exodus, when the people were set free from slavery in Egypt, when the walls came to tumbling down in Jericho, and all of you people who went to Sunday school are thinking of Bible songs. The exile to, to Babylon, the repatriation to Jerusalem by the Medes, but then still living under Medo-Persian rule, and then leaving, living under Greek rule, and Seleucid rule, and Romans, and it just keeps going. All of those things are just foreshadowing what is to come, as well as what's prophetic from God, to, to show like I, what I said is true. To inform us that he's in control and that these, these are the things that need to come to pass. None of it is surprising to God. The kingdom of God isn't coming when Christians appear to be on top of the hill and triumphant. It comes when people of, the people of God are their most hopeless. When the people of God are the most helpless. The kingdom of God will appear when the people of God and the church appear to be at their weakest. That's when God shows up, isn't it? That's when God shows up in our life. And in that severe persecution, again, you look back to church history, when, when Jews, when Christians felt that the end was near, then entered God. Sometimes people worry about when that end will be, and then they try to figure out all these timetables to, to predict when that end will be. But we're told to be concerned about today, that we have enough troubles today. And this timetable stuff wasn't given to us so that we can figure this stuff out because even Daniel didn't know these things. Verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And I find this verse to be a very encouraging verse. I hear it, but I don't understand it. Right? It's such a relief to, to know that we don't have to understand everything. That if Daniel didn't understand, I think it's okay if we don't either. What a weight lifted to just not have to have all the answers. Being a person of faith, by definition, means we don't understand everything, right? I mean, if you knew everything, then there's no exercise of faith needed. Jump down to verses 11 and 12. 1,290 days and 1,335 days. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't understand that. Like, I, I've read all the commentaries, and they give me explanations, and, and I can, I'm, I'm going to share that with you when we get down to those verses. But where do I land? I have no clue. There comes faith. Thank God. Right? Verse 9. He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So Daniel asked, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And the response was this. Verse 9. Go your way. That's really funny. Right? You, you know when, um, when you tell someone, like, just go away. Like, 
later, later. And most of you who are laughing or smiling are parents, because we, we do this all the time to our kids, right? Your kids are asking you some questions, and you're like, just later, later, go, go, play. Why? Because a lot of the times the answers just get answered naturally over time. Mom, Dad, when's dinner? When's dinner? Later. <laughs> and then it's like 6 o'clock and they're eating. Like, oh, now's dinner. Like, th there's your answer. It just it comes when, when time. And so same thing with Daniel here. The answers are sealed. They're, they're hidden for a time, but then they're going to appear. And so they're like, oh, here. And so the angel, God is just saying like, um, later. Just go away. Do the people of God understand everything? Obviously not. Obviously we don't. But the wise under things, understand things differently than the wicked in that we know that God is in control. That's the thing that we do know. Right? I don't understand it, but I know he's in control. Did all the prophets who wrote all the prophecies in the Bible know exactly what they were writing when they wrote it down? I really doubt it. I really doubt that Isaiah, even though he wrote so much about the Messiah when he was writing these things down, I think he was like, what is that that I just wrote? And other prophets, they probably didn't even know what they were writing as they were getting this revelation from God, but they knew that God was in control. And they feared the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We'll know everything we need to know as God's revelation reveals it to us. We don't always know the outcome until it happens. Now to these, these verses that I understand so well, verses 11 and 12. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. So some scholars take this as literal, literal days, and so they are tracing it back to the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, and they're taking it from the removal of the burnt offering when he did the abomination of desolation to the rededication of the temple. Now, if you go back, historically, it doesn't fit exactly. It's off by like six weeks. I don't know, right? I don't know. Others view this as symbolic. So they say like, yeah, six weeks. It's just six weeks. It's just like a symbolic time just writing down those numbers. And others take it other symbolic ways. I don't know. Whatever it is. I don't know what it is. But what it is speaking of, it is, it is speaking of the people of God enduring until the end. As far as like the number of days and all that stuff, I don't know. But I do know that whether this is literal or whether this is symbolic, blessed is the person who waits, endures to the end, who is faithful to the end. And that blessed assurance is for that person who waits, who endures to the end. And so here's the final word to Daniel. 13, but go your way till the end. Sound familiar again? Like. And you shall rest... And shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. So that go your way till the end isn't God brushing Daniel off. What is it? It's the same thing as when you're talking to somebody. It's like, go, just go do your thing, right? Go back to what you were doing. It's to encourage Daniel to live his life as he was living it. Just live your life. 
Don't, don't like fret about that stuff. Live your life until he rests, which he's talking about physical death. Because we all die. And then there's the promise, and shall stand, because Daniel, you're going to rise again. So what do we need to know? Live your life faithfully until the very end. We all die. We all rise again in the place that Jesus has for us. And we are to go on our way in the way of Jesus Christ until we die, persevering until the very end, living our life until we rest, until we die, and then we'll stand, we'll resurrect. So we keep going on with life regardless of what is going on around us. Knowing that our time is finite, knowing that we all die, so live it to the fullest until that point. Live it faithfully, persevering for the gospel until the very end. So we keep going on sharing our life and the love of God. And no matter what's going on in the world, because it's actually, the Bible says it only gets worse for us. But we keep going. We are going to die, but the death isn't the end. The physical death isn't the end. Go your way until that physical death is the end. You rest. But in Christ, spiritually, your soul lives on. Everlasting life. Go your way. Christ has a place for you. For those who persevere to the end. Let's pray. God, um, I ask for forgiveness if... Uh, at any time during this time and sharing about the book of Daniel that it was just all gloom and doom because you have meant it for our encouragement, for our hope and comfort. And I do pray, God, that people have received that, that in front of everyone here is the hope of everlasting life in you, Jesus. And as you offer that free gift it is costly on the behalf of individuals who have struggled with deifying themselves their entire life, thinking that we know what is good and what is bad, deeming what is good and what is evil, and for us to exercise faith to give that up and relinquish that is challenging. And so we ask God for a softening of that heart and that mind and to be able to trust just enough for you to take that and perhaps, God, to even try it out and test it and see where you lead. Thank you for your patience in us. Thank you for holding off your return, even though we so much look forward to it. But as more time goes along, we do have the opportunity to share it with more of those whom we love. In Jesus' name, amen.